wrestling fans, how you doing? You are listening to the next era in pro wrestling analysis. You're listening to Wrestle Rant Radio. I'm Tommy Sharp alongside Graham GSM Matthews bringing you the front to NWWE coverage that you deserve. Listen online at nexterawrestling.net. Graham, a pleasure as always, and have we got one hell of a show today. Can you believe that Elimination Chamber is only just a week away? It seems like yesterday that we were in the midst of the Royal Rumble, and what the people want to know is how you doing? I'm doing phenomenal, and how can you not be? I mean, Tom, you know what this means. We are officially on the road to WrestleMania. However many days away it is, over 60 days, 80 days, whatever it is, I'm pumped. We're coming off a great takeover on Saturday, Rumble on Sunday, Raw Monday, SmackDown Tuesday. You throw 205 Live in there. You throw in NXT on Wednesday. It's been a wild week in the world of wrestling. But the biggest news is coming out of yesterday, and uh, little Seth freaking Rollins going out with an injury, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it is very tough to see Seth Rollins go out with a re-injury to his knee, uh, as confirmed by Seth Rollins himself uh, via his Twitter account. Um, very interesting back and forth buildup between those tweets between him and the Destroyer, as uh, Joe Samoa Joe has taken on that moniker. Um, a lot of people speculating if this was uh, something that was planned, if this is something that is actually happening to Seth Rollins. I mean, we didn't get a whole lot of details or see a whole lot of things that happened after Raw went off the air. And that's when Triple H called out Seth Rollins to come down to the ring and confront him face-to-face. And Samoa Joe comes out of nowhere, attacks Seth Rollins, and Rollins ends up in the Kohina Clutch with a knee injury, after all. What was your thoughts when Triple H came out to confront Seth Rollins? And further, was this the kind of surprise that you were hoping to see at the Royal Rumble? It absolutely was. I know I was not the only one. I know you're coming in a little bit sick here today. I'm sick of seeing Roman Reigns coming at number 30 in the Royal (laughs) Rumble. I was not the biggest fan of that. But I will say this. you got to give the company credit for as much flack as they get for their lack of creativity at times. I know people were very disappointed. We didn't get a Kurt Angle or a Finn Balor or a Samoa Joe at number 30. I know we speculated for many minutes last week on the show here uh, talking about potential surprises in the match. No Samoan submission machine on Sunday, but he did surface on Monday, as you said, in that Rollins-Triple H segment. It adds, if Rollins is indeed healthy, adds a lot of new excitement, kind of fuels up that field that much more with Samoa Joe's involvement. And I'm pumped. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does going forward. Now, nothing nothing but respect for Seth Rollins and everything that any of these athletes have to endure to go through. We are merely speculating on the story side of things that are going on and some of the tweets and some of the things that we have seen. Now, Seth Rollins, even despite this injury, despite posting pictures of his knee, hoping for the best and speculating on timelines of recovery and those types of things, we saw Seth Rollins continue to make comments about the king, dethroning the king that is Triple H at the top of that food chain that he is trying to get to. Seth Rollins seems to be even more committed to that resolve. If there is any possibility of seeing him at WrestleMania, do we get to see Triple H versus Seth Rollins, or has Joe put himself right in the middle of all of this. It's got to be Seth Rollins versus Triple H. I mean, Rollins said himself, he put out a few comments yesterday on his Twitter machine saying that the only thing driving me back this time is to slay the King Triple H, and he will not rest until he reclaims his throne in WWE. Last time it was the WWE Championship, this time it's getting his hands on Triple H. Now, Triple H was saying that, you know, he has to put on this tie, he has to go into an office, he has to be this corporate shill 
in order to subdue this animal inside of him, this destructive force that compels him to be aggressively uh, assertive on everyone and anyone in his path. Why does Seth Rollins still view this 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 version of Triple H who has taken himself out of the game? Why does Seth Rollins still view Triple H as the man to beat? I mean, you go back to six months ago. We may forget, but Seth Rollins certainly is not. It was six, seven months ago Triple H returned to Raw to cost Triple H, or rather Seth Rollins, rather, his old protege, the WWE Universal Championship, and Rollins has really has yet to regain that same momentum. I mean, on TakeOver on Saturday, he invaded the show, said he will not rest until he gets Triple H one-on-one in the ring, and he was escorted out by security in the arena, which was absolutely incredible. Just a red-hot segment that people were ready to see this feud kind of reignite on the road to WrestleMania. But I feel if Seth Rollins is indeed out until WrestleMania or beyond that point, maybe it is Joe kind of getting in that slot saying, maybe Triple H says, you know, you delivered as I said you would and taking out Seth Rollins, but... You taking out Seth Rollins and legitimately injuring him is not what's good for business. Like, go back down to NXT, whatever. Samoa Joe, he he, he takes no demands from anybody. Samoa Joe is his own man. He's a one-man army. And going after the King Triple H at, at WrestleMania could be very plausible. Absolutely not. It seems, it seems very likely. And this wasn't... Monday was not the most... Uh, the, the last time that we're going to see uh, Seth Rollins for sure. But prior to that, on uh, Saturday... Uh, we saw Seth Rollins make an appearance at NXT TakeOver. Um, now, this was again to call out Triple H, which uh, definitely uh, alluded to his appearance on Monday. Um, and was there was a pretty big buildup with all of that. No Samoa Joe at NXT TakeOver. You know, uh, interestingly absent from that show. Uh, and uh, maybe you can uh, speak to what that absence meant to the crowd going in, maybe expecting to see him at the Rumble. Do you feel like this has taken a little bit of the shine or the impact that uh, Samoa Joe brings to the WWE main roster? Just a bit. I mean, I would say, I know we saw Samoa Joe in the crowd on Saturday, but he was not in action for the first time since TakeOver Unstoppable in May 2015. So nearly two years since Samoa Joe has last been, not been in the ring at a TakeOver in NXT. Um, But you know what? In a way, as disappointed as I was to not see Samoa Joe at number 30 in the Rumble, especially in the absence or instead of Roman Reigns, um, what I do think it does, because we said he was coming out in the Rumble on Sunday, pretty much everyone thought he was coming out in the Rumble on Sunday, but they swerved us, and they had him come out on Raw instead, getting involved in a top-tier program on the flagship show. You cannot introduce anyone in a more high-profile way than they did on Monday night. I mean, with Samoa Joe, had he been in the Rumble, in my opinion, he would have had to win it. He can't go in there and get tossed by a Brock Lesnar in 10 seconds or a Goldberg or even a Braun Strowman. He needed to go in there and to make the biggest impact possible, unlike an AJ Styles, he would have needed to have won it. But they already have their plan set in stone with Randy Orton, as we'll get to eventually. But with Samoa Joe, I think they handled it the best way possible. And a Samoa Joe and Seth Rollins feud heading into WrestleMania, if it does indeed come to fruition, in my opinion, as I wrote yesterday in an article, is what's best for business. No, it absolutely got my eye, got my attention right away. Uh, Samoa Joe does what he wants. And that, I believe, is the statement that he's making. Because he certainly didn't do anything on Saturday night. He was an observer. He could have done anything at that moment in time. But I think people still view Triple H as, just like Seth Rollins does, as that person to impress, that person to beat, that person to best. However they want to look at it, Triple H is still very much involved in the success or the 
burying of, of, of certain talent. And that has nothing to do with internet rumors or any of this. Triple H says it himself in, in so many words. So all of those things being present at this year's Royal Rumble, there were even bigger changes uh, uh, and bigger matches that were happening. One of the things that impressed me the most was the amount of titles that were on the line. Seeing so many titles being defended at a Royal Rumble, in addition to the Royal Rumble match, on paper looked like a lot. It looked like a, a, a big cluster of champions plus this this huge monumental shift forward for the WWE Universe in the Royal Rumble, and yet we still had very intense competition going on. I want to start off with uh, the Cruiserweight Championship match. This was something that um, felt like a long time coming, felt like a, a something uh, that I had been hoping and wishing for, and then of recent Neville has kind of changed attitudes and it took a little bit of the shine off of this win for me, but his skill, his prowess and how he achieved this win is somewhat undeniable. So Neville defeated Rich Swan to become the new WWE cruiserweight champion, his self-proclaimed king of the cruiserweights. How do you feel about Neville right now sitting atop the cruiserweight division? I mean, as I told you last week, Tom, what is a king without his throne? What is a king without a scepter? We got that on Sunday when Neville became the new Cruiserweight Champion. I mean, a lot of people from the dawn of the division back in July, people have been saying, what is a Cruiserweight division without really the innovator of high-flying in WWE, Neville, the man that gravity forgot, so to speak. And he had been absent from that division for so long. It's like, what are they waiting for? Why isn't he not involved at the moment? But really, his involvement in this division could not have come at a better time. At a time the division is still struggling to find its identity, Neville coming in there in a great match with Rich Swan and uh, in clean fashion too, beating him for the 1-2-3, taking that title. Rich Swan, as we found out on Tuesday at 205 Live, is currently injured, so uh, Rich Swan will be sitting on the sidelines for the foreseeable future, but a Swan and Neville match heading into maybe WrestleMania, a rematch. I mean, you really think about all the possibilities, too, with Neville's champion. You have Neville and Cedric Alexander, Neville and Jack Gallagher, which we got a taste of on Tuesday night. You got Neville and maybe a potentially returning Austin Aries. I mean, Neville as champion, to me, is the most compelling choice that could have made at the moment. So here's hoping Neville can continue to ride that momentum of the division in the months to come as WrestleMania quickly approaches. Yeah, no, absolutely. With WrestleMania looming here and so much of the division now being reshuffled because of this change with Neville being on top, I just I don't see anyone right now that has uh, enough uh, wherewithal to dethrone him anytime soon. I mean, he was far and away my number one choice before he had an attitude to change. And uh, now that he's come back, he's slimmed down a little bit. He's gotten even faster. He's gotten even more uh, aggressive in the ring and is not letting anyone take advantage of any of his uh, uh, any of his niceness. And I think that that is the part that has held him back previously. He was willing to help people out. He was willing to be supportive in any way that, w that he could, and it didn't get him anywhere. And I think that's why he's feeling burned. Should he feel burned towards the fans? I don't think so. That's where I, I draw the line with him. He's been blaming the, the audience lately, you know, for not having enough respect for them. When I feel like they've always had a lot of respect for him, I just don't think that everyone thought very highly of the people he chose to, to stick his neck out for. So Yeah, no, I got to agree. I feel like while I do not necessarily agree with Neville's actions, um, I do got to agree to an extent with what he's saying that maybe not kind of direct that anger towards the fans, but rather the powers that be. The fans are not booking the matches. They're not scheduling what the shows are and what the card lineup is. 
the powers that be, the management in WWE that have been neglecting him for almost years now should be at fault here. They're the ones that were scheduling him for superstars as opposed to Monday Night Raw. They were the ones that forgot about him when he came back and made a triumphant return to Monday Night Raw on the dawn of the new era back in July that was forgotten for so long. So to direct that anger, whether it's at the fans, management, who I think it should be at, Regardless, Neville is a new man right now, and I'm loving it. Yeah, he is a new man, and, and I hope he takes some of that uh, self-reflection and realizes that in order to be the true king of the cruiserweights, he, he needs to be out there defending it, and I, I hope to see that side of him uh, always present on 205 Live. But that was not the only title that changed hands at the Royal Rumble. Uh, one of the biggest, the biggest title changed hands at the Royal Rumble, where... John Cena defeated AJ Styles to become the new, the 16-time WWE champion. This feels like a long time coming. It feels like it was in the cards for John Cena all along simply because of his perseverance in this business. Yet AJ Styles of late has been especially poignant at pointing out all of Cena's faults for not being a full-time pro-wrestling-focused athlete. He is an entertainer, first and foremost, and secondarily, or maybe even third in that lineup, John Cena is a wrestler. But now he's a 16-time champion, matching Ric Flair and his record for the 16 times that Ric Flair has held the WWE Championship. What are your thoughts about John Cena? Did he, did he really get one over on AJ Styles here, or is this just inevitable after facing AJ Styles this many times? I feel like it was absolutely inevitable. I mean, after you fail twice, it really is more often than not only inevitable for John Cena to get that win back. I mean, I told you last week, he has beaten every rival that has been put in front of him from Edge to Randy Orton, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Kevin Owens. doesn't matter who he's up against. He beats every single one of them. It was only a matter of time before he trumped the phenomenal one. And we got that on Sunday in grandiose fashion, winning his 16th championship, world championship, that is. But as I've always been a big proponent of, What's next? You've won the championship. You are successful in your quest to make history. That's awesome. But winning that championship and holding on to that title are two very different things. And in two weeks' time, as you alluded to at the start of the showtime, we got the elimination chamber. We got the Satan structure. Six men will enter. Only one will walk out on the road to WrestleMania, the WWE champion. Cena's won three of them before, but in this time around, you got a Baron Corbin, Bray Wyatt, Dean Ambrose, The Miz, all these elite athletes gunning for that gold, it's going to be a tough task for him to walk out. And also got his sights set on Randy Orton, too. He's got a lot of different, a lot on his plate at the moment. So we'll see how he handles this championship run going forward. He won the championship for a 16th time, but he could also drop it for a 16th time at the chamber. Absolutely. And much like the New Englander that John Cena is, does he pull a lot from that New England Patriots Tom Brady mentality? I mean, Brady is soaring past so many records in the NFL right now. And he's still considered to be in his prime, if not in the best shape of his life. Is that not exactly what we're seeing out of John Cena right now? Is 16 just a a, 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 a slow number on the, the stepping stool to be 17, 18, 22, 23? How many times of a champion is John Cena going to be in the WWE? And how is that going to 
affect the rest of the roster? How are they going to look at him? He's, he's almost untouchable at this point. I mean, at this point, as you said, I mean, I think he's closer to the end of his career than he is the beginning, and I can't tell you exactly how many times that he's going to win the championship. I wish I had a DeLorean to tell you can go to the future and let you know how many championships he will win by the time he's done in WWE. That said, though, I really do think it's only inevitable by the time that he will win his 17th world championship. I mean, his current reign isn't even over yet, and I'm speculating looking towards the future. Um, but I do feel as big of a moment as it was on Sunday for Cena to win that 16th championship in Ty Flair, it's an entirely different task to break that record. Every record is meant to be broken, and John Cena, once he drops that championship, whether it be a chamber, could be next week on SmackDown, it could be at WrestleMania, whenever it might be, you know he will be even more determined than he is right now to get that gold back and therefore making history in the process. Absolutely. This could be a history-making turn for John Cena. Um, and certainly he's put in so much time. And he time that he wants to remind everyone about and all of his competitors about at every turn. Is John Cena turning into somewhat of a bully? Is he is he gloating a little bit too much? Perhaps. But as a 16-time champion, I, I don't know how that doesn't affect you and your personality. And speaking of champions and championship titles being changed at the Royal Rumble, the Raw Tag Team Champions, your new Raw Tag Team Champions in Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson after defeating Cesaro and Sheamus. Wh- where do you feel Cesaro and Sheamus went wrong in this match? I mean, that's really been the ever-asked question since they started teaming for the past couple of months. Where Cesaro and Sheamus kind of align? I mean... They put their differences aside to win those titles in the first place from the New Day at Roadblock. But again, and they've been a cohesive unit more often than not over the past couple of weeks slash months. But um, again, I mean, I think they really had their sights set, unlike Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, on the Rumble match. And I really think that's what kind of put them off here. And that was really what cost them the victory. They had their mindset. They were, I think they were more determined and more focused on the Rumble match than they were defending their tag team titles. It's great to be a tag team champion, but it's that much more meaningful to be a world champion in WWE. So we'll see where this goes in the future, but to kind of echo your thoughts from the past couple weeks, months, you know, etc. I mean, you, Tom, have been the biggest proponent of the kickoff show, and this really set the tone for the rest of the show that anything can happen. And we got new Raw Tag Team Champions, and it's not very often that we get a title-changing hands on the kickoff show, so I thought it was a very mem- a very memorable moment, to say the least. No, this is why the, the, the kickoff show is not a pre-show. It's not a talk show. It's not a highlight reel package of any kind. They have WWE does a very thoughtful job at providing all of their talent a platform to to succeed and achieve really big <laughs> really big accomplishments on their pre-shows. And this is more about promoting the network and why you should be watching the network and all that t- and all that kind of good stuff. But honestly, having these matches as a prelude for your in-audience fans, for your at-home fans. This is exactly what is mirrored around the NFL. This is mirrored in other sports as well, but I don't think it's as quite as entertaining as the way the WWE pulls it off. It's a mix of commentary. It's a mix of pre-show and actual in-ring talent. And when you have titles on the line, it certainly speaks to the number of things that are going to happen going forward in that night. When you have a title match on your pre-show, that can only mean good things for your main card. So... Very good to see that. Other pre-show matches of note. Naomi gets a, a pinfall on Alexa Bliss in the six-women tag match. What did you feel? What, what were the strengths of these teams going into it? We talked a little bit about this uh, uh, last week, 
but we definitely saw a lot out of Naomi recently, who's been always been clawing her way to that women's title. Um, Nikki Bella and Becky Lynch also sharing plenty of championship experience. They're going up against Alexa Bliss, Mickey James, and Natalia. What do you feel like the team, obviously Naomi, Nikki Bella, Becky Lynch, very established, very clear to, to what their accomplishments and what they bring into this match. But what did you see from Alexa Bliss, Mickey James, and Natalia? I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed this match, and what I think I liked about it the most was that, as you said, we have the established bad blood between Nikki Bella and Natalia. Alexa Bliss and Becky Lynch have been going at it for months now. But really, the, the, the true X factors in this match were Naomi, who was just recently coming back off of an injury, and Mickey James, who had not wrestled a match in WWE since May of 2010 or whatever it might be. So uh, they both performed really well here. I think the spotlight going to Naomi was an excellent move following that up on SmackDown on Tuesday by once again pinning the SmackDown Women's Champion, thus earning herself a future Women's Championship match at Elimination Chamber in a couple weeks. So, yeah, I thought everyone really did well here, specifically the heel team of Alexa Bliss, Natalia, and uh, and Mickey James. But I thought Naomi did a great job in really successfully reintroducing herself to the WWE Universe as a threat to that women's title, which she may take next Sunday at the Chamber pay-per-view. Oh, a most Excellent point. That is that is exactly what Mickey James and her presence is bringing back to the women's division, and it's going to be exciting to see who she sets her sights on and how that all folds out. But for right now, she's making a name for herself once again. Brand new, fresh take, and she does she she looks fantastic in the ring. I mean, her move set was as vicious as as it gets, and she you could tell that tenured skill that she brings in as a technician. And as someone that can get under your skin and force you to make a mistake, Mickey James brings all of that. But while we have so much more to talk about with the Royal Rumble itself and all of the matches that surround it, we want to dive into everything that happened in the Royal Rumble match. And joining us live now on the Next Era Wrestling Hotline, we have pro wrestling guru and longtime friend Tim joining us today. Tim will be giving his in-person insights into everything he saw go down this year at this year's Royal Rumble. He was in the third row. You can see him in almost every shot. He's on camera side, third row, all the way on to your left, wearing a Samoa Joe t-shirt. We're going to get Tim on the line here in just a minute. We'll be right back with you and take your calls. Tim, how's it going, Tim? We are so excited to have you on the show today. This is Tommy Sharp alongside Graham GSM Matthews. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Excellent. You can hear us all right? Good to be here. Yeah, I can hear you good. Excellent. All right, so Tim, you were sitting just three rows away from all of the action at the Royal Rumble this year. Tell us a little bit about what the crowd was like. What what did it sound like when, uh, specifically in the Royal Rumble match, when that first entrance music hit? What, what was the what was the crowd like at that time? I think we had a hot crowd in San Antonio. Uh, it was pretty uh, pretty loud, and definitely everyone was hyped to hear Enzo and Cass deliver Can- their uh, New Age Outlaw type <laughs> spiel. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to have 
the Rumble kickoff with something like that, with 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 a kind of an elongated approach to being on the mic and kind of soaking up that time versus someone running out and you know very quickly the next person's music hits and everything. So I was really surprised to see that that's the direction that they went in, but I think it worked out well for them. I, it was it was really great to see Enzo and Cass have a moment like that on a show where they weren't really heavily featured it, uh, it, or anything like that. So very interesting to see, but I guess we'll jump all the way to the end. That was, that was the first entrant. What did you think about Randy Orton winning the Royal Rumble this year? Uh, I, <laughs> I thought it was pretty uh, impressive that uh, WWE was able to make people ha- happy and excited for that to happen. <laughs> uh, and, you know, booking reigns at number 30 seemed to be the only real way to, to make that a possibility. I think everyone was just relieved that we weren't once again looking at Super Roman this, standing tall. This is true. This is true. So, so speaking of the excitement of you know Enzo and Cass and, and Big Cass being the first entrant in the Royal Rumble, all the way to Roman Reigns being the thirtieth and last entrant of the Royal Rumble. What was the crowd difference there? Was there? We, it's hard to tell, honestly from uh, watching the video uh, on the network, but what what was the actual crowd reaction to Roman Reigns coming out at 30? I, I thought we were pretty uh, universally on the same page as being unhappy and displeased. Uh, I, know, I know on Raw the next night, there was a thank you, Braun <laughs> chant. This is true. You know, referring, re- referring to him, uh, you know, making sure KO kept the title, so... I don't know. I, th- I think uh, I think the crowd is definitely starting to turn on turn on Roman, and it's not as much of a mixed reaction as he likes to claim, or as WWE brass likes to claim. I mean, uh, Roman Reigns, in my opinion, is a fantastic in ring performer. I I love pretty much everything he does bring to this ring, but I I also like kind of being on the opposite side of what people are are you know bandwagoning on. So I can understand how disappointed everyone was to see him at 30, but it also kind of got like a half-cocked smile out of me too because I just thought how how <laughs> deceivious this is to do at, at the number 30 spot again. Um, just, just absolutely cherry on top. But so that was a spot that, you know, everybody still at that point in the night had their hopes up of a, of a big surprise, you know, somebody coming out and really surprising you and ha-ha, womp womp, there's Roman Reigns. What... What was yeah, one of the? Surprise. <laughs> it was definitely a surprise. What was one of the entrants that uh, you saw that really did surprise you? I mean, there was there were, it, It's kind of say that there was a ton. I mean, there was a lot of people that seemed you know pretty appropriate to be in the Royal Rumble. Not a lot of legends this year, but was there anyone that really made you you mark out? Uh, I think I think everybody uh, was pretty excited to see Mark Henry. To be honest, it seemed like he really got the hometown reaction that I thought he would. Interesting. Now you had you did mention that to me that you you said that one of the entrants that you thought was going to be a, a, a sure thing, which I hadn't even considered, yeah. <laughs> was Mark Henry. And I, I also further didn't even consider that you know Texas is his his stomping ground. So that's awesome to hear that Mark Henry gets that much respect, pretty much wherever he goes, but especially in Texas at the Royal Rumble. I mean. He he's in phenomenal shape, but you were you were just a few rows away. How did Mark Henry look in comparison to Braun Strowman? In comparison to Big Show and any of the other big guys in the ring, he is a giant man. Yeah, <laughs> he is he is a very large man. Yeah, Braun Braun Strowman. 
he is definitely now the new the new bar that the big show used to be when it comes to just you see him in person and you're just it's just unimaginable how big this guy is wow um, and then you know big big show definitely definitely still holds it holds it own and uh yeah mark henry is just as he's just so thick and wide uh surprisingly uh bray wyatt is actually really imposing seeing him up close now i've noticed that reason, too he doesn't look that way yeah he doesn't he doesn't seem to have that that kind of look when you see him on tv but man he is just he's got a jim the nightheart style body where he's just all upper body and these two little legs holding yeah, him up. He's like a he's like a tank abbot almost. He's just like this like <laughs> yeah. chest machine. And then he's a big dude. And then yeah, but you know, but he he is you look at him next to some pretty tall people and he he's ranking right up there. You know, he can stand eye to eye with Randy Orton pretty much. And Randy Orton's a pretty tall guy. Um but as far as any of the other big men in the in the match, you had Mark Henry, we had Big Show, we had um, Braun Strowman, we had Undertaker. I guess you could lump in uh, Goldberg and Brock Lesnar in that. But as you mentioned to me offline, someone was decidedly absent from the Rumble this year. Someone that's usually there, the uh, the Big Red Machine. Uh, were you surprised that Kane didn't make an appearance? Yeah, I can't. I cannot believe that Kane was not there. I'm wondering what the deeper story is on that. Yeah, we haven't heard anything as to why Kane wasn't present or if he was even at the Rumble, uh, where he's been. Um, you parts know, unknown, apparently. Parts unknown. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> but I'll tell you, the the one person I would have gladly exchanged for Kane for literally anybody was the number eleventh entry, who was James Ellsworth. <laughs> Uh, Tim, what are your opinions on James Ellsworth, and, and how did he look in the Royal Rumble match? Uh, he's the classic uh, classic example of something Vince McMahon considers funny that no one else seems to be uh, in on the joke. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that Vince McMahon apparently thinks pushing someone into a pool is the funniest thing <laughs> that he can, he can imagine. Apparently Ellsworth and the no chin is right up there. This is true. This is true. It feels like it, that this joke is not only going to be ongoing and, and running. It's just going to be there for always. And just James Ellsworth seems like a pincushion at this point to just take whatever haha fall that they want him yeah, to that, take. That bump he took was uh, pretty terrifying that close. Uh, I could not believe that Ambrose was not there to catch him. I thought that was a very unusual elimination it was it was it was exceptionally unusual i mean ambrose goaded him into getting into the ring and then pretty much just kind of walked away right and this was this was happening right in front of where you were sitting and ellsworth i almost forgot about this until we started talking about it but man he hit the ground like a ton of bricks (laughs) yeah like they they folded his bones into the floor it seemed like i'm shocked he was on smackdown on tuesday shocked that he was in one piece after taking that bump that was crazy yeah, and who threw him over? The, he was eliminated by, by Braun Strowman. By Braun yeah, Strowman. Yeah, the choke okay. slam, yeah. yeah. yeah was a, it looked like Braun was throwing him at Ambrose, and Ambrose just didn't catch him. It was very, I thought it was very confusing. Yeah, it, it, it was very confusing. I mean, but I think... He was earning that paycheck, apparently. <laughs> Ambrose has made it perfectly clear, especially with all the stuff that they've been through and the, the things that James Ellsworth has cost Dean Ambrose in the past. 
that he's not going to be there to catch him when he falls. And maybe that was the larger point <laughs> that no one's going to be there to catch you when you fall, James Ellsworth. And, you know, the <laughs> no bottom... one likes you. Go away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, um, obviously, uh, the New Day made a pretty big uh, splash and, a, and had a pretty big presence in the Rumble this year. Um, I thought that they had a, a, a decent amount of teamwork going into it and, and were pulling off some pretty impressive things. How much of what Kofi Kingston pulled off to save himself from elimination were you able to see from where you were sitting uh pretty much just the uh the the ending spot where he he landed on that the led screens that now surround the uh ring posts right right that looked that looked incredibly painful and uh i honestly didn't know if he was going to be able to hang on there it looked like he hit pretty hard it did. So it's interesting that it came across the same way to you live because when we were watching it live uh, on the network, it looked like he hit that so hard that that couldn't have been the Kofi spot. You know, it just didn't feel yeah. like that was his rock star moment. It was innovative. It was totally subtle and weird and interesting, but it just looked really, really painful. And I wasn't surprised by the elimination of the New Day shortly thereafter. Um, disappointing to not see at least one of them or at least Kofi continue to make it through the rumble. But I think that maybe that moment kind of put him out of action. So it's interesting to see that you saw the same thing that we did, that it kind of got the wind knocked out of him there. Um, but then shortly thereafter, I mean, uh, uh, Kofi came out at around 14. Uh, Miz came out at 15. Sheamus came, comes out at 16. We're hitting like, you know, the heart of both of the rosters here. How obvious was it to you or to the in uh, the live audience where the numbers were or, you know, what was going on to announce uh, any of the next entrance? So that was the most confusing thing about being there live is that there's absolutely no indication as to who is which number. So about halfway through, especially after the, the Ty Dillinger 10 spot, um, it was – I by the time Roman came out, I literally didn't know if anyone was coming out after him or if he was number 30. Interesting. I never thought about that. That's a great point. Yeah, like you're wondering, like, okay, is this last guy? Like, that's a great point. Unless you're sitting there counting, which no one is, obviously, other than Ty Dillinger, yeah. who probably people knew that was 10. Yeah, you make a great point. I've never thought about that before. They should probably do a better job of doing that on, like, the Titantrons or something. So what what else yeah, was... The, the way they used the screens was, was, was pretty confusing. The, uh, the Titantron would just show the countdown, and then the additional screens there at the stadium would just show... Um, their like uh, their Titantron video, so mm -hmm. not only could you not see uh, what number the entrant was, but you also like from where I was sitting, I I didn't even see them coming down the ramp because they're, they're not showing that on the video, and you know from the floor you're not able to see that the ramp area. Well, that's interesting, and let's talk about that ramp for just a second. That was possibly the longest entrance ramp to anything I've ever seen them do. If this wasn't the time to bring back the chauffeur Lazamboni carts, I I don't know what what match would have been more perfect for that because this having entrance run for what felt like thirty seconds all the way to the ring was hilarious. Well, I, I was going to ask you about that because I saw a ton of pictures online after the event from people that were there. So maybe you can shine some light on this, Tim. That. 
a lot of the bigger guys, Big Show, Braun Strowman, Mark Henry, I saw Big E was a part of it too. They had the carts like from <laughs> WrestleMania 3 driving these guys to the ring. And that's why when Mark Henry came out on TV, there's like a 30-second period where they just show the ring and they don't show Mark Henry. And it's apparently because he's getting driven to the ring. Like if you watch it back, you'll notice they don't show a lot of the bigger guys making their way down to the ring. So I want to get your insight on that. Like how did they – did you see that? Was that apparent? Was that obvious to you, Tim? Yeah, so that was another thing that was super confusing. From being on the floor, I wasn't actually to see uh, the angle of this cart. Um, and I could just see from, like, the waist up. So all of a sudden, I see the big show uh, seemingly floating. <laughs> and, uh, That's a great visual. <laughs> five, five miles an hour down the ramp uh, as if he was, uh, like, riding a Segway. And I could – I was – I the first, the first entrance, I think it was the big show – I could not figure out what was going on, what kind of special entrance he was doing. And then every other big man subsequently entered in the same way. And, and I, I didn't even think, oh, they're not showing this on TV. But apparently, yeah, they were cutting away. It was and cu- cutting total, back to the ring. total cutaway. And then all of a sudden you would see them like right there and you're like, I guess that is how was he not out of breath? Yeah. yeah like for it, the big show, especially just no sweat. Like just, yeah. It, it was, it was really interesting because Mojo Raleigh uh, came out fourth. And he sprinted to the ring, but by the time he had got in and did, like, one move against anybody, he looked as winded as it gets. <laughs> it was yeah, I, I, I think it was lo- longer than a 40-yard dash, so I can't imagine how, how much of a sprint that was involved. <laughs> um, so, I think that was the ultimate Warriors nightmare. <laughs> I was thinking the same exact thing, yeah. When you said Mojo Raleigh, that was the first name that came to my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, one of the uh, surprise entrants uh, was a 205 Live star, uh, Jack Gallagher. Um, I'm a big Jack Gallagher fan, although I thought all of his his impact in this match was totally uh, unexpected. What did what did you think? Or did you have you watched a lot of Jack Gallagher in the ring? And what did you think of him in the Rumble? Yeah, I mostly know him from the uh, Cruiserweight classic i have unfortunately not been able to follow two to five live as closely as i'd like to but uh it seemed like he got the the uh, vince mcmahon comedy spotlight uh for this this match which i would i think is a good thing it seems like he must be on on their radar it does it was encouraging to see that they actually did push a cruiserweight in in the Rumble match and featured him in that way and a totally unexpected cruiserweight you would expect maybe brian kendrick maybe tj TJ perkins Perkins, who hasn't been seen in cedric alexander cedric alexander some of these you know more uh notable notable wwe universe favorites or whatever but jack gallagher i think brings so much of a needed relief to the WWE cruiserweight division where he's serious enough to be a competitor and outlandish enough to be eliminated with an umbrella. <laughs> so look like Mary Poppins there for a second. That was pretty classic. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, but yeah. I mean, people will be talking about that and that's what I guess, you know, in a lot of ways, that's what the Royal rumble is. If you're, if you, if you know, you're going into a ring uh, and you're number five and Mark Henry is number six and Braun Strowman is number seven. Then you know, getting eliminated with some style and some pizzazz is not such a bad thing. <laughs> um, but uh, someone yeah, that, that, was a, that was a pretty impressive uh, elimination, I thought, with the uh, umbrella out. And oh yeah, I mean, you you kind of one-handed move. You you, you <laughs> kind of knew it was coming, but you didn't know if they were going to actually go that far with it. And <laughs> I, you know, the the fact that he was able to go back and get his umbrella and then bring it back in to complete the whole uh, the, the the whole pattern was really cool to see. But someone that was in the ring, out of the ring, in the ring, out of the ring, 
disappeared, <laughs> came back. Let's talk a little bit about Chris Jericho. Um, Chris Jericho's the 61-minute man. The 61-minute man, the greatest of all time, in my opinion, the Orson Welles of professional wrestling. What did you think about Chris Jericho in the Royal Rumble specifically? Yeah, he was the goat. He uh, he was hiding right in uh, right in front of me, <laughs> fifteen feet That's away. Awesome, laying down on the laying down on the ground. You could see the referee looking down every so often <laughs> if he was still there. <laughs> I yeah, mean, no, no, and at one point he just kind of he got knocked through the ropes, but didn't fall to the ground, and then just kind of slithered down slowly out of outside of the ring. It was. I think that was my personal favorite part. It was so much fun watching him basically re-enter the ring, get hit with like four or five different finishers, and then roll back out of the ring. Um, <clears throat> at that point, when uh, I mean Jericho drew number two, you know, uh, after Mark Henry and Braun Strowman and Big Show uh, are in at Big Show's in at number nine, Ty Gillinger comes in at number ten. At this point of the night, and especially with uh, Jericho popping in and out of the ring. Did you start feeling like maybe this was Jericho's year to win it? Yeah, I thought he was going to pull off the Vince McMahon number two hide outside of the ring all match and then sneak in at the end, to be honest. I I really I wouldn't have been surprised if uh, it was Jericho pushing Orton and Reigns over the top at, at the end there. That's what I mean, that's what I was hoping for. Last week on the show, we talked about um, the the same exact tactic, only I applied it to the Miz instead, and and talked about how monster uh, of a heat storm he would create by basically doing exactly what Jericho did, ducking out of the match the whole time, coming back in, tipping over a big man to get the win, and and, and becomes a Royal Rumble winner for this year. But seeing Jericho do that, I said that has to be the play. I mean, there's no way that Jericho is going to let anyone get this one over on him, and unfortunately. Chris Jericho was eliminated by uh, Roman Reigns. So Reigns comes out and basically just cleans house of anyone that you had been paying attention to this whole match. I thought that that was the biggest kick to like the gut when it comes to this Royal Rumble is that Jericho didn't at least get one over on Reigns or you know didn't give the crowd a nod. He didn't have to win. But I, I just think it was a shame to not see Jericho really put one over on somebody that you know, the crowd kind of rallies against. Well, I thought there was a chance that just because Owens did retain his title earlier in the evening, so I'm thinking, okay, this might mean, because I was fully expecting Reigns to win that match. Okay, maybe Owens wins here, and then Jericho wins the Rumble. That could be a very likely scenario. Obviously, didn't happen, but... Yeah, with Jericho, I was surprised he was kind of tossed out as quickly as he was by Roman Reigns and as swiftly as he was, too. I was expecting the other Samoan, the other Samoan Joe named Samoa Joe and not Joe Annoy, a.k.a. Roman Reigns, to come out of 30. But <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it, was, it was interesting, to say the least. All yeah. right, well, let's talk about that for a quick second. Uh, now, Tim, um, uh, one of my favorite moments of the Royal Rumble, uh, not, not, not to put you on the spot at all, but one of my absolute favorite moments of the Royal Rumble is uh, close to the end, I think it was like the final three or four, um, we can see you standing up and just waving your hands and saying, forget this. <laughs> and you're wearing your Samoa Joe t-shirt and you're holding it up and you're shaking it and the camera catches all of it and can't do anything about it. It was literally one of my Sorry, Kevin Dunn. favorite things that happened. <laughs> I would love to see yeah, WWE do their classic re-edit and try to make you look like you're a pro Roman Reigns fan. Yeah, a Roman incredible. Reigns t-shirt. On. Yeah, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're shaking a Roman <laughs> Reigns really t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, what <laughs> I, 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 I thought that that was great. But what did, what did you think after it became obvious that um, there were no more entrants coming down and um, there was not going to be a reveal like we've had in the last couple of years with AJ Styles and so on? Um, no Samoa Joe this year. I think this was something we talked about last week. It, we talked about it last week like it was a sure thing. So we were disappointed, but I, I'm curious to know what, what your thoughts were going into the event. Yeah, it seemed like that was uh, that was kind of a big fallout as far as people being disappointed because I, I think in retrospect people will remember it as a really good Royal Rumble, but I don't know. In the moment, it seems like everyone got so worked up about those eight eight openings that were unannounced. Um, everyone just kind of convinced themselves, like, "Oh, we're definitely going to get an AJ, you know, level surprise." You know, with Nakamura losing the night before, a lot of people thought it might be him. Um, Joe sitting in the crowd at the TakeOver show. A lot of people thought it would be Joe. Um, rumors circulating that Finn Balor might be cleared to return. They thought he might be the spread entrance. I think, unfortunately, uh, the hype was so high that people kind of worked themselves up a little too much for it. And got, as, as I did, got super mad when number 30 was Roman <laughs> <laughs> And And I feel like that is perennially the, the WWE's go-to move. I don't know whether it is to spite the bookies or spite people betting or whatever it's going on, but I always feel that every time I strongly feel like something is going to happen, they're going to do the, the exact opposite of that and give us, you know, James Ellsworth and Jack Gallagher and not, nothing Enzo against Amore, Enzo yeah. Amore, you know, people that are, have not been heavily featured, but are certainly big time roster players. And maybe this, this says more about the expansion of the roster and the fact that they really want to get more talent out there in the ring, in their big shows, because, bringing back a legend at this point, you know, that doesn't really put over any of the talent that are working day to day in any way, especially with the Royal Rumble. I mean, it's great to have Diamond Dallas Page come back and and, and give out, you know, a handful of uh, uh, diamond, diamond cutters, cutters yeah. but that didn't happen this year yeah, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that didn't happen for the most part, and it, it was really interesting. But, you know, uh, jumping on uh, um, – on onto the Roman Reigns subject and things. We haven't really gone over this at all, but you were also there to see the universal title match. Now this was, um, uh, a card, the whole night of the Royal rumble was something that many sources. And even now looking back at it, this is one of the most stacked talent wise Royal rumbles that I've seen in years. And with so many titles on the line, it was interesting to see, Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns fight for the Universal title so early in the night. Was that something you expected to see so early? No, I honestly, uh, I thought that would have been either right before the Rumble match itself or even potentially after the Rumble match. Um, it almost felt like uh, the opener since the women's titles ma- title match was so short. Yeah, yeah, it's true. The women's titles match w- was very short. but um, So to see Roman Reigns... Uh, lose in that match and uh, to see Chris Jericho hanging like a sexy pinata above the ring. Um, <laughs> it was entirely gut-wrenching to see Reigns come out at number 30 knowing that he had lost the Universal title shot and could have gotten a shot at uh, you know potentially the WWE title, which is now in the hands of John Cena. Uh, we talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the show, but um, what, what do you feel out of just the title matches um, what did the crowd pop the biggest for? Which which of all of the title matches that happened? I, honestly, I think the uh, I think Cena AJ had the 
the louder response. Uh, as much as everyone wants to hate John Cena, uh, any match he's involved in, it seems to be the loudest match of the night. Yeah. Whether it be cheers or booze. Yeah, no, it really felt that way. It felt like John Cena. Uh, big match John. Big match John Cena. I mean, you, obviously there was a I bit mean, of... Oh, go ahead. Electric when during the when they were announcing them and right as the match started, it was you know you could tell, you know as into the the Reigns and uh, Owens match, you know everyone was definitely along for the ride on that one, but it was another level when it was uh, John Cena and AJ Styles. Now it was interesting because um, you know I saw a number of people comment on the difference. They they said that you know John Cena AJ Styles was uh, a match for the ages. Um, uh, a number of uh, people online are talking about that. They're also comparing it to Omega Okada, um, you know, and yeah, if, if only it had taken place in the Tokyo Dome and not the Alamo Dome, Meltzer <laughs> might have given that six stars. <laughs> that is so accurate. I can't even <laughs> express how accurate that statement is. I heard today that it got four point seven five stars, which I'm not gonna get mad 4. about. Four point seven five. Yeah, I'm not gonna put too much stock into this guy. What this guy said. I mean, no, Melter is very re- well respected, but it's like it's two different matches. You know what I mean? Like I enjoyed the hell. Like yeah. as soon as it ended, people were saying, "Oh, it was better." Oh, it was like. It's a great match. I loved it. It's one of the best matches. I mean, it's only February, so it's the match of the year so far for WWE. But it's like, yeah, Meltzer, oh, it's 4.75, but this one got six stars. It's like, come on, like, really? <laughs> yeah, and I, I have been to the Tokyo Dome, and I honestly do not understand the Meltzer's uh, infatuation with that venue. The Alamo Dome is pretty much the same exact Yeah, the U.S. Uh, equivalent, yeah. Setting. There you go. That that is literally the the insight we have been dying for because we <laughs> hear so much about the famed Tokyo Dome and like the matches that go on there and the prestige that that happens in this magical place and and very few people have the opportunity to experience that and I'm sure it is as as you've seen it, it's it's quite incredible but being third world for the Royal Rumble that's pretty that's pretty up there as well. Interesting to see though that John Cena and AJ Styles seem to have a totally different um, uh, type of match than what we've seen of them in pay-per-views past on SmackDown or, or elsewhere. It seemed to be a lot more uh, mentally driven. Did you get a sense of that psychology? I don't want to say that John Cena can't keep up with AJ Styles, but it certainly felt like the lumbering largeness of John Cena uh, was becoming more fatigued than what AJ Styles had in the tank. I don't know. What, what did you see live? Yeah, it reminded me a lot of uh, when he faced Daniel Bryan. It very much seemed like the uh, the big guy versus the small, quick guy. And uh, AJ seemed like he was really wrestling more of a clean, you know, baby face style. I can't remember uh, if he used any underhanded tactics throughout the match. But from what I remember, it was a very, very clean clean wrestled match, you know, no shenanigans. Well, and I, that's, that's a great point to bring up that it was a pretty clean match. I can't think of anything. Uh, Graham, do you have, do you no, remember? I got nothing. Yeah. No, I can't think of anything that, that AJ did. That would be an underhanded tactic. He didn't put his feet up on the ropes. There was no distraction. There was no run-ins. I mean, and this is where the club really could have made an impact, right? Cause they mm-hmm. had just won the championships. They've interfered with yeah. John Cena before. They've wanted to beat up John Cena before. Beat they, up John Cena. They have beat up John Cena before. <laughs> That's right. And we didn't see the club whatsoever. That was yeah, surprising. Classic me. WWE. You know, I, I don't know what their their rules are for people in the back coming out. You know, um, 
This same, is true. You know, same thing a lot with Roman. Same, you would think Seth Rollins or maybe Dean Ambrose would have come out and helped him with the Braun Strowman interference, but uh, they're just bad friends. That's all. They're just bad people. <laughs> that's the only explanation. So, you know, the the match was incredible, and I thought that everything, uh, you know, the way that John Cena won was certainly uh, a testament to how strong AJ Styles is as a competitor to have to receive that many AAs and that many, you know, uh, attempts by John Cena to get a pinfall and a clean pinfall pretty much right in the center of the ring. Um, you know, very, very uh, highly regarded match by all. But then there's the post breakdown, right? So John Cena wins his title and it seemed that there was an awkward amount of time that passed where he wasn't exactly celebrating. He didn't look like he had a sense of of like relief or a jubilation on his face. He talked to Charles Robinson a little bit and then, you know, held up his belt. Did, did you find it to be a little bit awkward that AJ Styles was pretty much just laying flat out in the ring (laughs) for most of this just kind of non celebration? (laughs) Yeah, the Cena celebration was really weird. It was like uh, it was as if he was waiting for something to happen, like you know, fireworks or confetti, or you know, I, I heard Ric Flair was backstage. So I don't know if maybe originally he was supposed to come down and congratulate him or what, but it was he just kind of stood in the ring. It was very awkward, and then finally he went to the outside and uh, you know, said hi to the fans. But it was yeah, it was a very strange. Uh, John Cena celebration. It really was. I mean, it, it felt a little hollow. It felt a little like, here you go, guy. You got your 16. Like, punch the card and you get a free soda uh, <laughs> kind of thing. You know, I didn't see, like, him take a ton of excitement or just personal pride in it, which yeah, I'm it, sure he's proud. It that- wasn't as emotional of a moment as you would expect. For, like, as big of a match as it was and as big of a moment as it was, I mean, it was cool, I will say. I will, g- I will give him props. I know they did schedule, from what I heard anyway, the Ric Flair segment, as Tim mentioned, and then he was backstage. They took a picture backstage, and that was on Twitter after, Rick, after John Cena won with them with the championship. So I don't know if they axed that at the very last second or earlier on in the evening, but... I will say it was cool that Cena celebrated his 16th championship win with a, a Make-A-Wish kid in the crowd. That was pretty awesome. So I will say that much. i got to give him respect for that. I, I, I do as well. I just think, and I, I absolutely think that all of the work that John Cena does charity-wise is just unmatched. I mean, it really is. There's mm-hmm. no one that matches that kind of uh, mentality. It just seemed to come somewhat out of nowhere. It seems yeah. like the thing you do off-camera. Yep. You know? Um, oh, that is true, actually. Yeah, it's it. It just seems like the thing that would mean the most to that person there at that time. They don't need to be on camera to 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 have that connection with John Cena. So I felt like that was a little bit forced, um, but uh, certainly uh, a proud moment for the new 16-time champion. Um, what are your thoughts on Cena potentially passing Ric Flair, even though Ric Flair has? So many more titles beyond this 16 number. It's WWE's imaginary WWE's number. WWE's yeah. imaginary number, but <laughs> let's say that that's a real thing. Um, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts about Cena potentially dropping the belt at, say, Elimination Chamber and getting it back before WrestleMania or getting it back at WrestleMania? Yeah, I wondered if that was uh, part of the reason why they, they didn't really make a bigger deal out of things is if, you know, they didn't want to kind of overhype it with Elimination Chamber being two weeks away. If he's dropping the title then, I mean, it's kind of a, kind of a strange accomplishment to happen at the Rumble. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a very fair point. Maybe the, maybe the celebration was more restrained and, and uh, conservative because 
having him become a 17-time champion and breaking that record is probably going to be a huge deal, I would imagine. No, I, that's, what I'm, I, that's what I'm thinking, too. I do think there's a very big chance that he drops the title in literally 10 days at the Chamber pay-per-view. I don't know if that puts him back in chase mode at Mania. I've said forever they should have waited until Mania for that title when we saw on Sunday, but it was a big enough match. I didn't really mind it. But at the same time, it's like, okay, so if, let's say Cena retains at Chamber. Does he face Randy Orton? Let's party like it's 2007 again at WrestleMania 33. Like, I don't really want to see that, but... Maybe they have him lose, and then he faces, like, Styles again, but I don't know where you really factor Orton in. But there's just so many possibilities. At the same time, I'm confused, but I'm also excited. Yeah, what, what is your level of confusion right now for what we have building towards WrestleMania? Yeah, I'm at an eight. I, I, I think that was my one criticism of the Rumble, is they created a lot of uh, interesting scenarios, but there's seemingly not a lot of direction. Um, I couldn't tell if Roman Reigns was going to be feuding with Braun Strowman or if he's going to keep feuding with Owens to get the title or if he's now suddenly going to be feuding with The Undertaker. That, um, that's exactly seems, where our head's at, too. Seems quite confusing. And, and with Cena, it's the same thing. It's like if he's going to drop the title, you know, is he going to be facing Randy at WrestleMania? I don't, I don't even know how that would work. Um, you know, same thing with Styles. You know, now he's, if he's out of the title picture, what's he going to do? Well, and now how does Bray Wyatt factor in to all of Randy Orton's motivations? I mean, you know, Randy Orton being the kind of self-centered, egotistical, you know, uh, uh, selfish kind of uh, uh, performer that he is, having him be on the Wyatts in the first place is shocking. But knowing that this isn't a belt that he could just hand over to Bray, this isn't a piece of paper, this isn't money in the bank where, you know, somebody else can can become in possession of it. This is not something he can gift to Bray Wyatt. So I feel like that decidedly means that Bray Wyatt will not be getting a title match or opportunity anytime soon. But is there a possibility that Randy Orton wins the title and hands it over to Bray? I think they should do that. Should uh, yeah, do the Andre the Giant Million Dollar Man angle from WrestleMania two and just hand him over the title. Wow, I mean that would be that would be the <laughs> exact opposite of anything we know about the Viper right now. You know, or up until this point, I mean, everything's been kind of you know uh, am- ambiguous as to what the Viper's role is going to be in the Wyatt family, and obviously Luke Harper um, might be on the outs with the Wyatt family. I mean, it certainly seems that way based on uh, what happened in the Rumble. Yeah, and also on SmackDown, too, we laid him out. I I love the fact that they're building to Luke Harper laying out Orton, or rather Bray Wyatt, with the sister Abigail, and Orton keeps encountering with the RKO. I think that's great. They have yet to make it official. They didn't make it official on SmackDown, Talking Smack, or whatever. I do imagine we will get Orton and Harper at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, but um, just fantasy booking here, I think it would be cool if Orton gets his title shot at WrestleMania, but not against Bray. Because Bray is in the chamber. He could win the title at Chamber. But I think if Styles regains the belt at Chamber, you do Orton and Styles, Bray Wyatt kind of goes off on his own with Luke Harper to do that match. Where Cena factors in, I have no idea. I've heard rumors of him and Nikki Bella versus like Miz and Maurice, which is a really random match that I don't have a problem with for some reason. But like, like Tim said, there's so many different possibilities but there's very little direction. I'm sure we'll get a clearer sense in the weeks ahead. I I, I feel like they're going to hold off. I feel like they're going to uh, 
Cena is going to go away like he does almost every week, and we barely see him unless he wants to come out and be a bully towards somebody. And then uh, we're going to get these random tag matches, which further puts off any uh, defense or anything like that. Obviously, AJ and a lot of people are going to be calling him out, but that doesn't mean he's going to respond. You know, I think John Cena has a, a plenty full schedule in the WWE and, and, and does a lot, but it's only a matter of time, I, I feel, before he takes these accomplishments, he gets his 17 or he gets his 18, 20, whatever it is, until he's satisfied. And then he's, he's going to go off to greener pastures and, and, you know, like we talked about last week, you know, do do Vince McMahon's uh, uh, mission work and spread the gospel of WWE to other entertainment fields. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts? <laughs> what are your thoughts? All, right, all right, final thoughts here. Um, what are your thoughts on our current champions? We have John Cena as our uh, WWE WWE champion. champion. Thoughts on John Cena right now. Quick hot takes. Surprisingly, I'm not not as upset as I thought I would be. Uh, I think the work he's put in the last two years, you know, he's doing the the U.S. Open and uh, actually doing a lot of in-ring work instead of just being this dominant, you know, Hulk Hogan babyface. I'm, I'm at a happy place to try to see Cena right now. Excellent. Graham? I could honestly not agree more just because Cena, for all the rumors and all the speculation that he's burying people, look how many people he's put over in the last two years alone, like Tim said, with the U.S. Open specifically. He lost to AJ Styles twice. So his win on Sunday should not have been like, oh, Cena's champion again. Like, honestly, I'm a lot like Tim. I did not mind at all. So I'm perfectly content with him as champion right now. Absolutely. Now, uh, Universal Champion Kevin Owens retaining. I mean, uh, we had Jericho uh, feeding Kevin Owens brass knuckles. We had all kinds of foul play. It was no uh, DQ match. So what do you expect? What are your thoughts on the stability of Kevin Owens as a Universal Champion going forward? Yeah, I was, I was surprised that uh, that he was the one that retained and not AJ. I was thinking that the opposite was going to happen. I was thought I thought it was going to be Roman taking the title and AJ retaining. Um, so I'm I'm happy that the Kevin Owens show got renewed for another season. Excellent, excellent, Graham. Your Could thoughts? not have phrased it any better myself. I'm just going to leave it at that because I love the way you close that out there. So I could not agree more. I think he will be dropping the title soon at, Cham- or at uh, Fastlane rather to Goldberg. That's another discussion for another day. But I do like the fact he did retain the title though. Now, uh, Gallows and Anderson also became the new Raw Tag Team Champions, as we talked about earlier on the show here. What do you think their longevity is? Do you think that they now have a stranglehold on the Raw Tag Team division based on who's available and Enzo Amore kind of being somewhat hurt and not hurt? Does, do they just run away for the next you know year with these title belts? I think due to Vince McMahon's uh, total disdain for tag team wrestling, uh, I think they'll fly under the radar just enough that they might they might hold on to the titles longer than the New Day. Ooh, bold, Ooh. bold prediction. I like that though because if anyone has you know the the fists to back it up, I think it would be Gallows and Anderson. And if anyone has you know the ability to bring a spotlight back to tag team wrestling, I would hope it's them because they blend that entertainment, they blend that ruthlessness in the ring and on the mic. I think they bring a lot to what is missing in 
maybe you know Vince McMahon's mind of what's missing in the tag team division. Graham, what do you think? I mean, they talk about it all the time. We talked about it earlier. The Tokyo Dome. They've headlined it eight times or something. Former three-time IWGP Tag Team Champions. I thought it was long overdue. Their title went on Sunday, and here's hoping they can get finally a steady steam of momentum heading forward into WrestleMania. Yes. Now and, and now heading into WrestleMania with with uh, a steady focus on his mind. Neville, the new. WWE Cruiserweight Champion. Final thoughts on Neville. What do you, what did you think of Neville beating Rich Swan? Did, did you, I didn't realize that Neville could handle this. Womp womp. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I love this new Neville. He finally has a personality. And uh, I think it's, he's actually changed his, uh, his work style. He's a lot more aggressive, a lot more, I don't know if I don't know if you guys put the band on this name, but Chris Benoit, he reminds me a lot of him and his crispness and his uh, ferocity. Now he I really does. like this new Neville. Yeah, now, especially the way he snaps a suplex, the way he hits off the top rope. I mean, he he was absolutely devastating in that match against Rich Swan. And Rich Swan, I mean, he just doesn't appear to have it in him to be that kind of competitor and Neville just has this look of determination like he's seen it all and now he's ready to just dominate Graham what did you think of Neville no I love that too I love the fact that he didn't win with the 450 he has not used the 450 in some time I love the Crispin Wall comparison because he hit the, I think the superplex he kicked out and then he locked in the the rings of Saturn or whatever the submission hole is <laughs> and he won with that and I thought it was great so yeah I'm loving the new Neville I think if there's anyone that can bring importance and prestige to this cruiserweight division it's the man that formerly created forgotten now that the new uh, king of the cruiserweights yes absolutely and and uh, last but not least and certainly not forgotten uh, Charlotte Flair retained her WWE Raw Women's Championship. Um, what did you feel about that match? What was, how, how was the crowd reception to her retaining the belt? I was actually uh, lost in San Antonio looking for parking during that match. I walked in just as, as the ring, as the bell rang. rang. Uh, but uh, I, I think uh, I love that she won and that she kept her pay per view streak intact. This is true. And, That's a good point. Uh, she's the she is definitely the top. I think she's. Even Eclipse Sasha at this point as being the top uh, female wrestler. Oh, she has to be. In my mind, Charlotte Flair is leaps and bounds away from anyone else on the, on the Raw women's roster, especially Sasha Banks. I just don't see how Sasha can continue calling herself a contender for that title with the way that Nia Jax, Sasha, uh, uh, Charlotte Flair, anybody is quickly taking her out, injuring her in almost every every time that they have any kind of match or rapport or buildup of any kind. Graham, what do you what do you think about Charlotte Flair getting this win, and what does that say about you know her streak going forward? Yeah, I mean for Sasha, she lost in what five minutes to Nia Jax in the kickoff show, so then it kind of says all there is to say about Sasha Banks. But Charlotte is far and away the most superior women's athlete on Raw, let alone I gotta say both rosters right now even over Alexa Bliss. Um, but yeah, I love the fact you're still undefeated on pay-per-view. I think they said 16-0 or something impressive like that. So I think they should hold off until WrestleMania, whether it be a multi-woman match or another rematch with Bayley, who I think as good as Charlotte looked here in victory, I think Bayley even looked better in defeat because she's that ultimate underdog. And when she eventually does win that championship, it'll mean that much more. Absolutely. All right, final thoughts here. We haven't talked about this at all today. Um, let's talk about Brock Lesnar and Bill Goldberg. Um, obviously, uh, unexpected, totally took me by surprise. Tim, fill us in. What was it like to see Goldberg and Brock Lesnar go at it for like a mere handful of seconds? 
Uh, I, I'm still shocked by this booking. Um, I really am leaning towards thinking that this has a lot to do with how limited Goldberg is and WWE just wanting to cash in on the name and, you know, get this get this run done. Because uh, I, I, Goldberg just looked really awkward and sloppy, I thought, the entire time he was in the ring. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that the uh, hashtag Oldberg is not trending. <laughs> Oldberg! Shots Goldberg. fired. What, Graham, what, what, are your, what, are your, what are your takes on Goldberg-Lesnar? I mean, I like Goldberg. He got a huge reaction from when he came out. I mean, people were ready to see Goldberg, but he was in there for, like, what, two minutes? And, I mean, he got tossed up by Taker. I mean, like, Lesnar comes out of this, in my opinion, as as mythical of a creature as he is still in WWE. He came out of this thing looking like an ultimate loser. But I know the overall, probably the end game in all this is him beating Goldberg at WrestleMania, Brock Lesnar, that is. And that's okay, but I I could not agree more. I mean, like Tim said, I mean, I honestly do not think, from what I can recall, Goldberg has taken a single bump since he came back, whether it be in the Rumble, Survivor Series, Raw. He's bumped himself. He's bumped himself. He's he's smashed his (laughs) head on a door and forgot his lines. So that's, you know, that's probably the hardest hit he's had. Yeah, I just, I don't, I I mean, I know where they're going with this, and I think it's just, I'm going to leave it at this. I don't want to go on a huge rant. I just think it's a match better saved as an attraction for Mania. Do not put the belt on either guy. I do not need to see a two-minute universal title match at WrestleMania. It's fine as an attraction, as a two-minute attraction at WrestleMania, but to put the belt on either guy, whether it be at Fastlane, I know they're doing a live event with Brock Lesnar and Owens at MSG in March, which is cool, but keep that belt far, far, far away from this program. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad that... Couldn't agree more. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm glad that Goldberg... I really... Oh, go ahead. I really... Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I really hope the payoff is that Lesnar finally kicks it into another gear, you know, takes him to Suplex City, and that's it. That's the end of the run for Goldberg. Because I, I, I really get the impression that they're protecting him as much as they possibly can. And uh, honestly, the elimination of Goldberg, just the the way that, or uh, the elimination of Lesnar rather, the way he went over the top rope. Uh, watch that again. He is just an impressive, impressive guy. Um, he he just takes that over the top throw differently and better than anybody else, and then his face, his reaction uh, of being eliminated, and then even the next night on Raw, that that look of uh, almost of worry that he's saying, you know, I'm going to get in there and beat you, Goldberg, but you you can just see in his face that he's not sure if he's going to do it. I just I, Lesnar's just I total another level. I wish he was more than a part timer. Wow, yeah, very well said, very well said, and maybe it will ring true what we were talking about earlier, too, about the WWE swerve, where we're going to get built up all the way to WrestleMania only to see Goldberg toss Lesnar down onto the floor with a jackhammer and a spear, and it's going to be one, two, three, and under a minute. It'll be even faster than last time. Oh, no, don't even say that. Don't give them ideas. No, I'm I'm telling you right now that the, the the probability that Goldberg goes for and out and then disappears and probably gets, you know, into the Hall of Fame or some nonsense. I, I feel like that's really possible oh God. here. God, goes 3-0 against Brock Lesnar, just hangs it up and going, goes home with a paycheck. That's it. Well, and Brock Lesnar's still here until next year. And I was counting the win that he got on Lesnar all those years ago. So yeah, in 04. In 04. Yeah. So, you know, I think I time will tell, but certainly... Brock Lesnar um, uh, showing this side of Brock Lesnar a little bit more of a vulnerable, um, uh, hungry Brock Lesnar is really interesting to see that frustration build in him. And you know what's going to come out. I just don't know if 
it, Goldberg's going to give him enough time to, to let out the suplex city, you know, like all of that uh, power that Brock Lesnar brings to the ring. We might not see much like we didn't see much from the undertaker. Um, I know he has uh, a number of uh, lingering injuries and things that are, are sidelining him for a number of reasons, but you know, the three of them um, could have been major influences on uh, on the Rumble, certainly a lot of people speculating. You know, Goldberg saying that he wants he's got one more title run in him, and and all of this other stuff. And Brock Lesnar's always hungry for gold, and Undertaker's just making ominous intentions. Yet the three of those players that made the most amount of noise about the Rumble in the last three weeks ba- barely made an impact. We're probably in there for a total of I want to be generous and say like three four minutes collectively, which is not bad, but it's like. I don't know. I mean, if, if it's such a random drawing, then why did all three of the biggest stars literally come out back to back to back almost at the final three or four spots? That, to me, was what kind of took away from the unpredictability of the, of the Rumble match on Sunday. Interesting thoughts. Yeah, I, was, I, I agree. I was honestly surprised. I kept the, every entrant. I kept thinking, okay, here comes Lesnar. You know, the ring's filling up. He's going to come out, mm-hmm. clear the whole ring. And I, they just—it was very strange. They they really went with Braun when it came to that mm-hmm. uh, one dominant guy. I didn't think Braun was going to be in there as long as he was. Um, yeah, I think I think that that would have been my only fantasy booking would have been to see Lesnar maybe a little bit earlier because you know Lesnar can still go and mix it up with a few of the guys rather than yeah it was just there was the last five six entrants it was you know all the big names we had been waiting for all night. Yeah, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Well, Tim, we can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Uh, it was a real pleasure to have you. I hope we can call you again. Um, <laughs> always, always great to talk shop with you. You have so much insight and so much history into where things have been that uh, we would love to call on you again for your expertise. But uh, we are Wrestle Rant Radio. You are listening to us live on nextererawrestling.net. Check us out every week, every Thursday. You will see a new episode from WrestleRant Radio. I'm Tommy Sharp. This is Graham GSM Matthews. Thank you, Tim, for being with us today. Stay classy, everybody. We'll see you next week. You're great.